Can you hear me? I'm listening for you. Will you guide me? Is it beautiful where you are? Do you feel peace? Will I see you again? My mother passed away last Friday, and while my emotions are pretty unpredictable from one minute to the next, I've been thinking about the matriarchy. Now, yes, we hear a lot about the patriarchy, but there's a tie here. Did you know that a million and a half years ago, women were revered as priestesses and honored for their ability to bear children? It was a matriarchy. Think about it. All those stories about goddesses and the power of women. And then you think about stories like Wonder Woman. She had her own island of these powerful women. That's the only thing I can relate it to of what it might be like. Um, But conversely, the patriarchy, which is deeply baked into our culture, and according to historian Gerda Lerner, the patriarchy arose partly from the practice of intertribal exchanges of women for marriage in which women acquiesced because it was functional for the tribe. <laughs> Listen, the patriarchy has been around for 4,000 years, and I believe it may be being ever so slowly dismantled right now. I mean, we're in the age of Aquarius, right? And if you're wondering what in the hell is the age of Aquarius, go to episode three of this podcast with Kelly Knight for more on that. It's really fascinating. But let's talk about mothers. What does your mother mean to you? Does she cause you heartache or is she someone you try and emulate? I often hear Tony Robbins talk about how grateful he is for his mother because without her own imperfections and deeply abusive style, she used to beat the crap out of Tony growing up. He says he thanks her every day because without it, he wouldn't be the man he is today. Well, that's generous and admittedly a very positive spin on things. But when I think about my mother, my mom did her very best. She had six kids, six. And because my father traveled so much, My mom truly raised us almost all by herself. My parents divorced when I was a teenager and miraculously, all six of us are functioning members of society. So I'd say that's a big win if you think of the law of averages. But according to me, my mom and I had a pretty complex relationship. She didn't know about it, but I did. And my mother loved us unconditionally. She was so proud when we would pursue anything creative or anything really that our heart loved, especially music or anything having to do with the arts. You see, my mother never went to college. She, instead of going to college, she went to Europe and she was training her voice. She was an opera singer. And so she would train with these the, the finest teachers. And she came back and started working a job. I, I think it was at the airlines. I think she was a clerk or something in, in her 20s. And she met my dad, who is a debonair man with a cool accent and was 14 years older than her. My mom was swept away and she married him. She had six kids, 10 pregnancies. I mean, good Lord, that's a lot of pregnant. 
But as she was raising us, she was hell-bent on making sure we had exposure to the arts and carted us around to whatever sports or activity or friend's house. I don't know how she did it, managing all six of us and her own. And my mom even volunteered on the rescue squad in the community. We grew up in New Jersey in a small town um, and we uh, in a small town called Wachung, New Jersey. She sang in the choir at church. She ran a catering business and just loved to entertain at our home. My dad would always run into random Lebanese people <laughs> and invite them over for dinner. And my mom was always at the ready. There was always a ton of food. She was such a great cook. But my parents were very, very different. My mother was an emotional creature. She was thoughtful and funny and thought-provoking. She just loved to talk and crack jokes whenever and wherever she could. She was really hard to get off the phone. And she did suffer a touch of keeping up with the Joneses, but always had really great friends that have supported for her for decades. And honestly, they have been on the phone with each other, supporting each other till the day she died, which is amazing. And my dad is generous and jovial, but very, very simple. He wasn't much of a conversationalist. You know the kind, the kind that's like the one word answer kind of guy. That's my dad. My dad never stressed about anything and was a workaholic while my mom took on all of the burden of raising us by herself. And of course, there were cultural differences. My father grew up in Lebanon. My mom grew up in Brooklyn. So they were just very, very different. And when I was a teenager, after my parents divorced, my mother fell into a deep depression and she went to therapists and, you know, her antidepressants made her weight balloon and just made it difficult for her to get out of bed. She had been a stay-at-home mom for 25 years raising us and had to pick up and go back to work without a college degree and continue to keep that train running. And we grew up in an affluent neighborhood. Now, don't get me wrong. We were like the not rich kids among the rich. And I literally, I'm embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I literally remember, and again, just keep, just hold for a minute your judgment and think about the perspective of once you get out of the bubble and you realize, but I literally remember yelling at my mother because we didn't have a Mercedes or a pool or an elevator in our house. Sheesh, my goodness, so embarrassing. But my dad's businesses didn't always do well. And my mom and all of us had to work. We had to go back to work and pay the bills somehow. I paid for myself to go to college and uh, it, it wasn't like we had a ton of money laying around. And my mother beat it into my head as a girl. Allison, you make sure you finish college and never rely on a man to make your money. Make your own. Boy, did I take that to heart. I have always been ambitious, and before I met my husband, Chris, I was $45,000 in debt, and I was so afraid that I would be considered a liability for any suitor, any guy that might want to date me, that I worked my new corporate sales job where I was making like 30, I don't know, like $31,000 a year after making six figures at another role, and I... uh worked a new corporate sales job, and then I worked at Longhorn Steakhouse at night to pay that debt down. I sold my house, my car, my dresses, everything I could. I lived in someone's basement, and it took me five years to get completely out of debt. 
the wounds of watching my mother live a life with very little money and relying on her kids to help pay her living expenses to kind of help her out ran really deep. And while my mother was always the life of the party, so funny and delightful, and for the most part, she was always in good spirits when you talked to her. She always had an undercurrent of depression that never really left since my parents got divorced. I got the sense that she wished it wasn't so hard. Whether it was making money or finishing college or finishing any project or having good health or being able to travel wherever she'd like, or having a lifelong companion to love her. She never remarried. She would always fantasize about it all, but wouldn't always finish the tasks. And personally, I've always watched her and viewed her as a cautionary tale. And I feel guilty saying that. I ran in the opposite direction. If I committed to a project, it was getting done. If I said I was going to be there, I'd be there early. If I had an interest, I was going all the way and diving head first into it. You can count on me and I'm always going to overperform. Years ago, I suffered from disordered eating because I was so desperate to not gain weight like my mother did. I went overboard at the gym with nutritionists, functional medicine doctors, mommy makeovers by way of plastic surgery that ended up getting botched, by the way, and had multiple surgeries to fix, which it is not fixed. BMI tests, therapists, anything to guarantee that I would stay slim. And all of this was so that I could get my head right. But yet, as you can probably guess, I felt like I was on the brink of insanity. I've always worked in high-intensity technology sales jobs, or at least for the better part of two decades. At a global pandemic, and I experienced the worst case of burnout I could have ever imagined. Why do we work ourselves so hard? It is the masculine side of us that tells us to produce, produce, produce. To uh, you can sleep while you're dead. You can you you can sleep when you're dead. Make money at all costs. And I accomplished a lot during the pandemic. I launched a blog, a second podcast, rebuilt my website, opened an audio agency, helped countless people launch their podcast. I started a new job in technology sales with a new company. And I also got to care for my mother when she was diagnosed. All with a ton of stress over it and feeling like none of those accomplishments were ever enough. That hyper-masculine drive is a muscle I know in my sleep. I never found happiness in any accomplishment I added to my resume this past year. So I asked myself, what am I trying to prove anyway? Who am I trying to impress? Would it ever be enough? And what I needed was peace. And why am I striving for peace through some type of external validation? Can you relate to any of this? Do you look and see how many likes you get on an Instagram post? Yeah, I take great care to make my post compelling enough for people to respond. Do you find yourself hoping someone will give you a pat on the back and say, attaboy? Sure, it's so normal. Now, as we approach the end for my mother, something really miraculous happened. My mother has been in pretty poor health for the better part of 10 years. 
She didn't feel up to going to so many family events, whether they were family reunions, her birthdays, her beloved grandchildren's birthdays, holidays, and spent so much time by herself in her apartment, especially as the pandemic hit. She went for long stretches without seeing another human. When it was confirmed she had terminal cancer in the fall, we thought for sure she would be gone any minute. Her health was so fragile. All six of her kids rallied around her and helped wherever they could. My mom moved into my sister's house and my sister and her husband and two kids went above and beyond making sure she was comfortable. I took six weeks of family medical leave to care for her and got time I would have never gotten otherwise with her. All hands were on deck and my mom wanted chemo. She did not want to get off this planet just yet. Here's where it gets really miraculous. Even though my mother's body was in a steady state of decline, I have never seen my mother so truly happy than she was in the last six months of her life. She was surrounded by her family. All of us shuffled in and out over the days and weeks and months to care for her, flying in, driving in from different states just to take care for her, care of her and relieve my sister. And she, you know, my sister had this intense boulder that she was carrying. Mom was no longer watching the news. She wasn't watching anything anymore. She picked up and made a tapestry and taught her granddaughter to sew. She would read books to my kids. She would share meals with us. She would share meals with the family that she was with my sister and her kids. Her lifelong friends would spend hours on the phone with her and come visit. We celebrated her half birthday in April, and we took her to Asheville on a girl's bucket list trip, complete with a wheelchair and an oxygen tank in the pouring rain and a heavy dose of pain too, but my mother could not have been more grateful. A trip I will never, ever forget, and one that she talked about every single day since. My mom was in and out of the hospital in moments of feeling hopeful and moments of feeling despair. And most of the time, cracking jokes with whoever would listen, that's just how she would cope. Her pain was increasing as the cancer spread, but her focus was on staying as long as she could with us. We packed up her apartment as her lease ended and donated it all. She divvied up her prized possessions and got each of her grandkids a memento from Granny so they would always remember her. It was so important for her to leave a piece with her grandkids so they wouldn't forget. When it was her time to go, we surrounded her in her room at my sister's house. Five of her kids all had a hand on her. And my other sister in California was on speakerphone. All six of us were there with her. Classical music was playing. It's her favorite. And we kept talking to her, laughing, telling stories, ripping on each other, telling her how much we love her and how it was okay to let go. Hearing is the last sense to go when you're dying. So we just kept talking to her. Her friends would call and talk to her on speakerphone. Her grandkids and daughters and sons-in-laws who couldn't be there would call and tell her how much they loved her. I felt an energy I have never felt like that before. While we were all together, the six of us and my mom, 
The room was so peaceful, so beautiful. It was calm. My mother wasn't in any pain, and there was soft music playing. Her eyes were closed, and her mouth was wide open with her oxygen helping her breathe. She couldn't speak anymore. She would move her eyebrows or maybe make a sound, and we'd like to think she was responding to us. She would squeeze a hand here and there, and I felt the strength of our family. Oh, it was so powerful. It was palpable. And it was fueled by the most feminine of all, pure love. I could feel it in my bones. We all could. It didn't feel scary. It felt like it was going to be okay because we had each other. We had my mother. Even though she was slipping from the earth, we had her spirit in us. My mother gave us so much. She birthed six lives. Six lives that have multiplied into 12 grandchildren and shared love with husbands and wives and grown our family tree and have touched so many in our friends and families and communities and beyond. She gave us unconditional love and she sacrificed so much of herself to make sure we could shine and that her legacy would live through us. And she was always so proud of us and always fiercely protected us. And I've, as I've spent the past few days reflecting, she was always there for me, for us, for every wedding, every baby being born, every graduation. When we hurt, she hurt. When we were happy, she was happy. She always had advice, whether we took it or not. And what she always had in spades was passion and a heart. And as my mother took her last breath, It was beautiful. It was peaceful. Her work was finished on this earth. She was wrapped in love. It feels so trite and cliche to say, hug the people you love. Life is too short. I wonder if the answer is more feminine than that. Maybe that it is safe to receive love. That you are enough. Just as you are. Nothing to prove. No accomplishments to make you worthy. You are loved just as you are. And what I learned from my matriarch is that the heart is what matters the most. And as I navigate the unpredictable emotions that are passing through as I grieve, and they are unpredictable, let me tell you, I'm also grieving having that feeling of profound love in that room with my mother, with my brothers and sisters. So as the matriarchy inches its way up in our culture, maybe we can accomplish more by doing less and letting others love us because I am worthy, you are worthy, we are worthy together. Sending love.